And we are live. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I am one of your co-hosts, Blake Rafino. Alongside me is my pe- counterpart and co-host, Joe DeLeon. Good evening, good sir. Blake, I'm really excited to talk with you about what is easily the biggest conference realignment news of the offseason. UMass is heading to the MAC. Are you excited to talk about the, that, that today on the show? Well, no, no. <laughs> I, I mean... Good for UMass. That means they make their more they make more money, right? Yeah. And good and good on for UMass. Those yeah. are the kinds of realignments that I like. What I don't like is ESPN completely dictating everything that they think that they can dictate without any re- repercussions. What's the UMass mascot? The Minutemen. That's why you're probably a big fan. That's why you started off with it, right? The Minutemen. Well, well, I, wait, wait, okay, all right. Is that really what <laughs> I set myself up for? <laughs> I mean, I just hope we don't lose the UConn-UMass battle, which is the, I'm not going to say what it is, but that is a very good regional rivalry that we have. That nobody knew existed until right now. Well, I mean, you you don't see all the the sickos committees posts where it's the the C and the U M logos on the uh, score bug. You you don't know what I'm talking about. I honestly have no <laughs> idea. What you're about, but I'll send it to you. That's not the hot topic that we'll talk about here today, uh, Joe. I've already had somewhat a, a little bit on my own show about this, but I'm I'm intrigued to talk to you about it. Uh, we'll be doing our hot seat tracker before the beginning of the season, and obviously we got to start off with Florida head coach Billy Napier uh, and his hot seat. Yes, so I had a bit of an idea a few weeks ago, and I wanted to start doing it this week, which is I want to go through as many coaches as possible that we think are on any range of the hot seat, guys that are in year three, four, that are maybe haven't gotten to that level of expectation. And look, we could go, we could talk about somebody that's, a one on the scale, which is not even going to get fired at all. But Kirby. I think the conversation, well, we're not going to talk about Kirby. We're not. Uh, okay. <laughs> but Lincoln Riley, I think is a good example where he fits somewhere on that scale because of the way I, things turned out last year. Billy Napier is the easiest one to start with. And I know that you're excited about this. Out of Billy Napier, Dave Aranda and Sam Pittman, who is on the hottest of seats? It's gotta be Pittman. It's gotta be Pittman. You think so? Yeah, I feel like the he got this year kind of out of goodwill, you know, because I think that everyone kind of nice likes guy. him. Yeah, but let's be honest. They, I don't think he deserved it. He probably was the most fireable coach last year. They stunk. Here's the crazy thing, man. I, I know you're going to disagree. I don't think that they actually stunk. I think that they were absolutely decimated with injuries because they had – That landed. is true. Landon Jackson, and that defense was really good. I mean, Joe, they played LSU with four new offensive linemen, all of them getting their first start in Death Valley. So, I mean, I, I look at that and say, were they bad or were they just – was it a lot of bad luck happening with the Hogs? Because but one would, if you remember – oh, my bad. But if yeah, you remember, in Pittman's second year, remember when they clapped those Longhorn cheeks in yeah. Fayetteville? I, yeah. I mean – when when they, listen now, Sam has had some good years. I mean, he did go nine and four a couple of years ago. I think our expectations of him got super high. But one could argue that 
when you when you deal with injuries, the way that I look at it is that like it should really kind of only lower your ceiling by like a couple of wins. I feel like they fell completely off the deep end with the amount I mean, of injuries that they had because they were injury prone the year prior and they went six and six. That's makes more sense to me. Oh, not like this though. Not like this. That's a depth issue though, and a co- one could argue that they didn't have the the guys, the depth, the the, the playable talent in the depth of their roster that when they dealt yeah, with they injuries, it's a coaching issue. by the portal too, which was yeah. awful. All right, so we'll talk about Billy Napier in our first hot seat collection. We'll go up to Ann Arbor, Joe, and talk about the first-year expectations for Michigan head coach Cheryl Moore. Yes, this is one that we've punted a few weeks in a row, but finally we are going to get to it talking about what will happen for Sharon Moore. I'm curious which one of us is going to be the most bullish on this. I feel like it might be me, but we'll have to find out when we get to that segment. Just because I said that it's a lazy hire doesn't mean I don't think he will have success. Right. 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 I mean... (laughs) Him, them going nine and three in the Big Ten next year is actually not that not that difficult. Okay, so I think we are on the same page. Yeah, we're that's all, yeah. where we're going to get pushback from Michigan fans because they're going to think that nine and three is a bad year for them because they just won a national championship. But eh, it shouldn't be. You're, you're one of a head coach. I mean, Joe, if he goes nine and three, how many games did he win as the interim coach? Six? No, 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 no. no. It was only it was only a couple of games. It was like two or three. Well, they split it up the first time, and he was the interim head coach. And then he was the head coach for all three of the last games. So he had four wins as an interim head coach at Michigan, correct? It says he's only considered to be 1-0 uh, as an interim coach. But I, that doesn't, I don't think that's right. Yeah, I think it's got to be 3-0 or 4-0. I'm sure the Michigan fans will correct us in that. I mean, if he goes 9-3 and and Joe and you add on four, and he's 13-3 and in his year, technically year one, I mean, can we really say he's that bad? I mean, if he's thirteen and three, I mean, it's not a bad start. It's and the, then, and then, what if he goes nine and three the next year, and then he's, I mean, you're starting to talk about him being twenty-two and six. Sounds like Marcus Freeman. Sounds <laughs> a lot like Marcus Freeman. <laughs> and you, know, you know what else is interesting? If all teams that need to give a coach patience, I think Michigan is the ultimate team that shows why patience is key. With Harbaugh. That's a very good point. I didn't even think of that. Well, we, we got to bring that up later. We definitely that's need to why, bring that up that's later. That's why you have me here. I am the anchor uh-huh. of the show. You're just the the young. Okay. Uh, the I'm the Ann Joe. I'm the Ann Joe in the title. I get it. I, yeah, it makes Ann sense Joe. You know, they come for Rafino, but they say for the for the uh, uh, the Ann Joe. As my as my grandfather would say, you young whippersnappers, you only think about what's in the present, never what was in the past. I mean, there's truth to that. We're the looking ahead. Is- yeah, the pass is a good teacher sometimes uh, if you let it. Uh, Joe, that's not the only thing. We will wrap this show up today here, too, talking about something that – now, listen, I know you're going to hate this, but something that I do think that uh, current LSU head coach Brian Kelly over the last probably nine months has been beating on the table over uh, is helmets and radios. They did it during the bowl series – and they did not let LSU. So the guy that was actually out here clamoring for it, they actually didn't let his team have the helmets and the radios. But, Joe, a very interesting conversation here with college football potentially going with helmets uh, with radios, which has been going on in the NFL for how long now? Right. It's crazy that it took us this long to get to this point. And 
I think that this would have got a lot more pub if there wasn't all this Tennessee and college football playoff drama Michigan, that's been happening. Michigan. I think this would have gotten a lot more coverage if if this was like a normal, quiet offseason. It, it's a big deal. It is a big, Joe, big deal. Name a year that we've had in the last decade that we've had a normal, just normal, cool. That's a good point. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. We have not Nick had- Saban only retires once, okay? So, like, we got to, you know, we got to bring it. That what is what the real catalyst of everything here. or COVID, what was the bigger thing? Actually, not, almost not playing a season. I would argue Nick Saban and Jim oh Harbaugh leaving college football in the same offseason had more domino creation than anything that COVID did because COVID was just like we didn't know what was going on. I just I think that the we have never had a coaching carousel that has lasted this long, and it's all because of Nick Saban and Jim Harbaugh. Can you title this uh, this episode uh, Saban versus COVID? Yeah, I'm sure that the Alabama uh, folks will absolutely love that title. Of the episode. I'm sure YouTube will as well. Yeah, I'm sure it won't get taken down. <laughs> For sure. All right, everybody do us a favor by hitting the like and share if you're on Facebook. Share to all those groups. Share to all of your social media pages. If you're watching us, listening to us on YouTube, like, subscribe, and notification bell wherever you listen to podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe. Joe, we got lots to get into. I, I think that we got lots to talk about here with Billy Napier, so we'll start off with that. Really excited about it. Let's talk about our good friends, though, buddy, over at betonline.ag. Excuse me. Got uh, had a little bit of a belch there. Talk about our good friends over at betonline.ag. Don't go anywhere. We're back next. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way for you to wager on all of your favorite sports, contests, events, with the first-to-market odds in lines. Find reviews for all the news for each league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, college sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all of your sports information for live in-game betting props and futures. Head on over to BetOnline today and use your mobile device to join and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's BELIEVE50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's BetOnline.ag, BetOnline. .ag. We're back. All right. Actually, what's funny about this, Billy Napier might be back on Alabama staff if Nick Saban, or he could be, be on Kirby staff. Who knows? Because I don't think that this is going to last long. Kirby staff would, would make a lot of sense because I'm sure that there is, as we talked about last night, there's going to be a new opening. Someone's going to leave, and then they're just going to – it'll be a senior analyst, and then he'll – Come down and he'll be the O-line coach after that. Oh, God. I wonder where he'll be an <laughs> O-line coach at. Joe, we're doing this this series here on hot seats for our hot seat tracker for head coaches. And we thought that Billy Napier would be a good place to start. It's been talked about a lot. Let me start off with this because I think it's only fair to say this. Now, I talked about this last week actually on my Around Your SEC show. I led off with Billy. Joe, there's a very good chance that Billy Napier could be 5-2 and two going into, into the Georgia week. Very, very good chance that he's there. And a lot of people, like they did this year, remember when they went into the game with Georgia in Jacksonville, the largest cocktail party 
we thought, man, maybe Billy, I mean, Graham Mertz, they're playing okay. They're five and two. Yeah, they're about to be five and three, but could they upset an LSU? Could they upset this team? Could they upset that team? You know, at the end of it, when Jordan Travis went down, that game in the swamp, a lot of people were like, well, hey, man, could they upset Florida State? Is this the week that Florida State goes down? But, Joe, the last five weeks, six weeks of the Florida schedule, I think is the most brutal scheduling that I've ever seen. Florida State, Texas, Ole Miss, LSU, Georgia, all in there for Billy in Florida at the end of the year. I'm going to say something that's not going to make sense. Florida has a potential to be the best 5-7 and seven team maybe ever. And I don't know if it's technically created equal if Billy is 5-7 and seven, that it's – I'm not going to say it's not a bad year. It will be a bad year. Don't get what I'm saying wrong. I just think he's got so many hurdles that he has to overcome that – is he the hottest – or the biggest coach with the hottest seat, yes. I, I don't know if he makes it through all of this. But I, I got to say, Joe, there <laughs> he might have the toughest schedule that we've ever seen in college sports or college football, maybe ever. The schedule that he has to face is brutal. And one of the things that I've heard throughout this cycle that's been brought up on a number of college football shows that I listen to is that – they possibly decided to hang on to Billy Napier this year because they didn't want to throw a first-year coach into the heat of having to deal with the schedule. Like that, that would have been so brutal. There's also speculation that the recruiting class that he had that was so good, they they didn't want to risk losing a lot of the guys that were committed, especially a guy like DJ Lagway, who is a program changer. That is a guy that completely changes the direction of a football program. He is that gifted gifted of a, a quarterback prospect. If I were to put this on the scale. One being not going to get fired, 10 being definitely going to get fired. I think it's a seven. And, and here's my reasoning. Really hard schedule. Very, very tough final stretch as you talked about. It is going to be an uphill battle for him to get out of that. I do think he has bought himself time, though, and it needs to be acknowledged. As much as we clowned on him on signing day for losing a couple kids, the final recruiting class and the guys that he signed were significant. That class is going to be really good in a couple of years. And one could argue if they stay, the administrator, right? If they stay, the administration could be argued. We got all these really good recruits. Do we really want to start from ground zero yet again and hope that whoever comes in is able to get these kids to stay? Do we really want to risk getting picked apart? Like we just witnessed happen with Alabama where a bunch of kids hop in the portal. Do they really want to risk that happening? I think his efforts in recruiting have shown signs of progress, which is why I don't want to go all in on the 10. I think it's likely he does get fired, but I think there could be an argument made on, let's be a little patient because he stepped into a team that Dan Mullen did not recruit at this level. And he had to completely start from scratch in order to get there. He is not Hugh Freeze, who's going to get this thing running as quickly as possible. It, it, Billy Napier has does not have head coaching experience in the SEC. It was going to take him a little bit longer to get where he needs to be. And I think that that is where that argument could be for him potentially staying if they go six and six, maybe even seven and five if things go, you know, really, really nicely for them. Joe, if he goes five and seven this year, he'll be 16 and 21 as the head coach at Florida, which is not acceptable. You know, there's a lot of comparison between Billy to actually somebody who is a rival 
of Florida and that being Florida State with Mike Norvell. But I look at Mike Norvell in his first two years, Joe, he went three and six during COVID. He went five and seven, which is, I mean, I don't even know if I want to count 2020 or 2020 for him because of all the craziness that happened, more of 2021 being his first year. But he turns it around, Joe, and goes 10 and three and 13 and one this year. I, I, I mean, if you're in year three, you can't schedule or no schedule, you cannot go five and seven. You gotta you gotta find a way to be bowl eligible. You gotta find a way to be seven and five at worst. If he goes seven and five, maybe I could see a glimpse of maybe and he recruits well. Look, let's give him one more year. I mean, they went five and seven. They're seven and five. Maybe they win a bowl game. They go eight and five. Who knows? Joe, I got to admit, I I, I got to give this a nine, maybe even wow. a nine, even maybe even a nine and a half. I just don't see a world where Florida sits on their hands and doesn't make a move if Billy Napier does what we think he's going to do. I think where this whole thing gets so messy is the previous coaches and how quickly they've been moved on from. Like, at, at what point, and I understand it's the old adage of like at a certain point, you, you got to pull the plug instead of continually reinvesting into something that's not not working. At what point, though, do you not try to give a guy a little bit more time than you've given the other coaches? Unless he's that insufferable of a person to be around, and that the, he's not the, that insufferable of a person. Billy's not a bad guy, right? The, so but normally, they, that's they, what they, gets guys kicked out early. Is that there's friction between the administration and and a coach? The argument with that would be, though, Joe, can you can you hang on to a coach that'd be sixteen and twenty one? God forbid he goes back to back years five and seven. And you're talking about a coach that's 21 and 28. No, he wouldn't be 21. And, yeah, 21 and 28 as a head coach. Joe, he wouldn't have a winning record. He wouldn't have a winning record in the conference. I understand that he's got one of the hardest schedules. But, Joe, I'm, being, I'm saying five and seven, and I think I'm being generous. That's fair. That's very I'm fair. Giving, by the way, just throwing this out there, I'm giving him a win in week one against Miami. Okay, which I think Mario Cristobal is another guy that could fall on this scale here of is he on the hot seat, is he not? I, I, I look at, at Billy Napier. I think he's a great guy. I honestly believe he's a good recruiter and a good coach. When it comes down to it, this just isn't the place for him. Uh, it, it, it just It's not – I don't think – I just don't think that Florida, if you're being unbiased – this is not where they need to be. Joe, Joe, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. When Florida is on, they are the most dangerous, they are most dangerous team in, in, in the state of Florida, without question. We, we've seen Spurrier. We've seen Urban. We've seen guys, even Dan, that 2020 year, they went, new, they went crazy even the year before in 2020, uh, 2019. It was one bad year for Dan Mullen, and they cut the cord. They're holding on to Billy Napier longer and giving Billy Napier a longer leash than they ever did Dan Mullen. It all depends on, on who you think you can go and get. And I do think that behind the scenes, those conversations are already starting to be had. I think Florida knows that he is a sitting duck. Joe, there was a 
and Florida fans in the comments are going to kill me for this. There's scuttlebutt on social media. That's a white man's word, scuttlebutt. But there's a <laughs> lot of lot of stuff on social media about boosters not giving money to the program because they don't think Billy Napier's the guy. So, which is I, so stupid, by the way. That is such that is such bullshit to do the. Oh, we don't think he's the guy. We don't really think he's the guy. So just not going to help him. Like, this is why this program and this football team has sucked for the past decade. Because these boosters think they're hot shit and they make dumbass decisions like this. We know that they could, they are the ones responsible for bungling the Jaden Rashada situation. I, I just feel like there's so much toxicity with this goddamn booster group with the University of Florida. They all think everybody is going to be Urban Meyer. I, they fuck themselves. They literally, that is where the root of the issue is. Like we could sit here and talk about Billy not getting the job done as much as we want. And there's some truth to that. There's a lot of truth to that, which is why we're having this discussion. But we got to have a, have a real convo here, Blake, about this booster organization for, for Florida. They, they meddle way too goddamn much and it does not get covered. Well, that's a head coach's problem. Look, head coaches got to put boosters in their place. That's all. That's also Billy, a part of Billy's job now. You you think that there's not rogue boosters at every big time Power Five conference or, or team in the country? Hell yeah, there is. You don't think Josh Heupel? We talked about the NCAA in Tennessee. You don't think Josh Heupel picked up the phone and called whoever the CEO of the Spire Group is and says, "You stupid son of a bitch, what are you doing?" Like. That's a good point. I do think that that is a part of his job. But, Joe, I, I got to tell you this. I don't necessarily disagree with you behind the Jaden Rashada stuff. That's not on Billy. None of that is on Billy. Bet you they were letting Billy know everything that was going on, though. Yeah. Right? Here's the problem. I'm going to get absolutely killed by this, by my home base, in saying this. Florida and LSU are a lot alike. And after two years of winning a national championship, LSU fired Ed Orgeron for being sub-500. I could make the argument. Mm -hmm. I could make the argument that LSU, from a national title standpoint, I can make the argument in the last 20 years from Florida, from a national title standpoint, LSU is a little bit more because they've had a little bit more stability here for longer periods of time. Joe, Florida's got two in that same period. LSU's got three. So my, my point in all of this is, how do you see a, Ed Orsron a couple of years ago won a national title two years? Can he actually didn't even make it two years? He made it a year and a half, and their athletic department said, Hey, you just beat Florida, so what? You're out. You cannot sit on your hands in this conference. That's a good you, point. You just can't. And I brought this part up earlier. I don't think it's the boosters thing. Look, they've missed on they've missed on head coaches. Okay, a lot. <laughs> when was yeah. the last good? The, the last good. I thought they had was Urban Meyer. Good. I thought that they needed to give Dan uh, another. Yeah, year. that was stupid. That was very stupid. I mean, he literally was just playing for an SEC championship game. He got wait, wait. This needs to be. I just just to throw this in there before we. Kyle Trask was talked about for a period of time as a Heisman finalist. Kyle Trask. I'm going to say that one more time. I don't think Trask was that bad as a college quarterback. He wasn't even a starter in high school, and he managed to yeah, get what he got out of him. King? 
or was it Kyler? No, it was Derek. It was Derek yeah, King's Pierre high school. Derek King, that was the quarterback ahead of him. Joe, a lot of people wouldn't start. All I'm saying though is that what he got out of the talent group. Look at you at going Florida, after they quarterbacks moved, again. I, I'm just saying they moved on way too damn quick. Imagine if they let him coach Anthony Richardson and it wasn't Billy Napier. Just imagine what that would have been. Did, like. They did. He, he, he was he, a freshman though. I mean, he looked really good as a freshman. Oh, brother. No, he didn't. I mean, he ran Come really on. good. Joe, he ran really good. No he, freshmen um, are, are – there's no good freshman quarterbacks. They all are like that. He Joe, played I was way better game, than expected. I was at a game where Anthony Richardson tried to throw a hitch route, and it legitimately hit 16 rows up in the stands. He was I'm not, as hell. Not, okay, all right. We're, we're getting I distracted not here. But I, 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 under, yeah. I understand your point there in reference to – Moving on from Dan, but I, I just look at Florida as a place. Joe, what do you let me? I keep saying this, and if I say it too much, God, God bless it, it's going to come true, and the whole entire SEC is going to is going to hate me for this. Could you imagine getting a coach like Lane Kiffin to be at Florida? If Lane Kiffin is realistically on the table, Billy Nape, not only should you fire Billy Napier. You should get the governor. Well, let me not say that because it's too political. You should ban him from the state of Florida for his entire life. I look. I understand what you're saying. Lane Kiffin. Now, wait, wait, but pull it off. I I understand that there is this desire and this want for Florida to immediately pluck the biggest name on the market. But I, I feel like one, a lot of times when these openings happen, very rarely do we actually see that first option and that first name leave unless they have some sort of prior affiliation with the school, meaning that they played there, father played there, they were a coach on the staff for a long period of time, something along those lines. And I, I just also, Florida has had multiple coach openings. And I feel like, they haven't gotten it right. Why would any coach really be excited about jumping into this? Because it's Florida and people know what you can do there. I, I want to add this into the into the fold, though. A very common thing that people say is that if you say everyone's an asshole, it usually means that you're the asshole. You know what I mean there? Like if right. if if you think that everyone's being mean to you, the reality is that you're the one who's actually the one who's at fault. and You need to look at yourself. All I'm saying here is that if we have gone through the, this many coaches, this isn't two. Oh, no. Their athletic department has been absolutely trash. Uh, that's what I'm saying is that instead of yeah. pinpointing, we got to fire Billy Napier, at, at what point does Florida not look inward and say, we got to start completely over? You know, we, we have to figure out ways that we can build a foundation as a, an athletic department rather than expecting a head coach of a football program to hit the ground running when the foundation is completely cracked. But you do bring it. But the problem with that is, is that there's been so many really good power five programs that have been fractured. Okay. And the foundation has been cracked and you go and make a big time head coaching hire and overnight it changes like this. I mean, I could name there. I, I can name 20 off the top of my head. Hell, I can name one of them at that was at Florida. And I get, I think your analogy about, Hey, man, you can't just go out there and hire Urban Meyer every time. And you're right on that. But, Joe, I'm not asking him to hire Urban Meyer. You know what I'm asking him to hire? Elaine Kiffin. 
somebody will get you 10 and 2 every year at minimum. And you know what happens when he goes there? He destroys it in recruiting in the portal. They're not, they will, they would not be, may, let me not say it like that. It would be very rare when they only have nine wins. All right, let me put it this way. I'm only firing Billy Napier if I know that I can get Lane Kiffin. Because oh, if he goes five is, and seven again and you have two, three losing seasons, you got to move from him. But this happens so much in college football where I think administrations fire guys and they think to themselves, Name, oh, go- name a coach that was three seasons and had a losing record at a massive school like Florida that they moved on and you thought that they shouldn't have. Uh, I'd have to. I think it's a unique ex- situation, though. I what really situation? think that it, I think Florida's situation is unique because the amount of times that they've fired coaches consecutively, and then on top of after very short stints, very very short stints, the, nobody has gone past three or four years, if if I'm remembering correctly. But I, I think that there's positives though that could be taken away from his performance in recruiting, and also he's got a huge uphill battle with what they have to do with who they have to face on the upcoming schedule. Let me ask you this, though. Say they upset one of the premier teams on their schedule. I don't know who that is. Would, do you think that that would buy them some time if they go 5 1, and 7? 1,000%. Uh, not if they go 5 and 7. Because that means they would lose to somebody like Vanderbilt that they're not supposed to lose to. Oh, wait. They did lose to Vanderbilt. I mean, so ago. he had a top five pick at quarterback once he came in. There's not a lot of excuses. I mean, Joe, you're talking about programs in your own conference. So the year that he came in, and this is just my last point, the last year, the year that okay. he came in and got in at Florida, Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley were the two premier coaches that got other head coaching jobs. That's who you're compared. That's who you're compared to. You you would know this a little bit better than me, and this is legitimately a question. That did you get him? Yeah, I got that, it. <laughs> that hiring of Billy Napier was he their for their, their first choice? Was that the yeah? Because they panicked, they thought LSU was going to get him, and they went. They flew to Lafayette, hired him because they thought LSU was going to get him, and LSU didn't even come close to interviewing him. L- I mean, I, I'll, even... I'll, just, I'll just say this now: uh-huh. LSU's number one choice was Brian Kelly, and their fallback guy would be a guy like Lincoln. And Lincoln saying, I'm not going to LSU because Brian Kelly had told a recruit, Walker Howard, okay, long story short, and others, okay, Will Campbell, others, that he was coming to LSU. And that's why Pete Thamel tweeted it because recruits were talking. I'm asking this because this was prior to me like really being as deep into hosting as I am. Did they even consider interviewing Brian Kelly or Lincoln Riley or any they of these premier coaches? Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly had let it known, be known that he wanted out at South, of South Men and that Florida would be a premier destination for him. They didn't they even turn that. And no, they didn't they even turn him down. Yeah. And now he's 2-0 and against him. He's won the West, and Joe, he's got a Heisman Trophy winner. What does Brian Kelly do with Anthony Richardson? Oh, he's a first overall pick if if he plays you know in that what? offense. He actually probably comes back this year. Yeah. 
Yeah, he, he, he could be argued he would have stayed longer. He would have stayed longer. And the truth is, Joe, they would have been nine and three, ten and two. That's the truth. And, and so you you look at a place like Florida, Joe. It's not. There's no excuses. Uh, okay, I understand that. And I to to be a little bit more clear here, sub five hundred is not good enough. That's probably what I should have been a little bit more clear in saying when I mentioned the Lynn Kiffin thing. But you brought up Mike Norvell. And I remember Mike Norvell coming into year three and everyone was like, we got to get rid of this guy. This guy is going to stink. Florida State's going to be really bad. And they showed so many positive signs in progress on offense. Well, yeah, they, they so many positive signs. They, they were if, a really so good team. If Napier goes 10 and three, he's not getting fired. Okay, right, right. I'm just trying to find, <laughs> I'm trying to bring a comparison though here. There is no comparison. I think that there were a lot of really young, good football players on that Florida team last year that were just really inexperienced. There are athletes on I that team. I will say this now. I will a lot say of freshmen this. and sophomores that had I, to play last year. Hey, now, I will say this. Billy got a defense now. But, you, but here's and the an thing. And an underrated D.C., too. That's like that's what I'm trying to get at is that like, this strong could come together. Bringing Ron Roberts. But here, here's the thing, too. Remember this now. When you go out for a special teams play and you have two players with the same number and you're losing, those issues magnify so much because you're getting your asses kicked. If I remember correctly, did they get rid of their special teams coordinator? I, I probably. I God, I hope so. I'm looking it up. God, I hope so. Let's see if they did. Uh, oh, they call him the game changer coordinator <laughs> oh no he was he was there last year can i can i tell you this before we transition to Sharon Moore? there is no yes. program that potentially will have three losing seasons back to back to back that could go from the slumps of hell to being a tier one top tier sec program more than the florida gators nobody Mississippi State can't do it. Vandy can't do it. A&M's not there. South Carolina can't really do it unless they got Steve Spurrier from Florida. Yeah. I mean, Shane Beamer's not going to get him there. The right coach gets in Gainesville. Nighty-night, sweetheart. Night-night. I don't disagree with that. I mean, the, uh, there it is uh, a historically good football program, and there's a, a rich history of recruiting and funding to that program. Joe? I was a senior when Tim Tebow brought his happy Christian ass into Baton Rouge and was in the stands. It wasn't just Tebow, though. Percy Harvin. Uh, uh, who was the uh, Brandon Spikes? That Aaron Hernandez. <laughs> All right. <laughs> they had killers. Lewis Murphy. Okay, you didn't have to use that descriptor. I mean, am I lying? No, you're right. They they recruited I mean, they at an had elite level. Fide, like dudes that would knock your head off. Joe, Joe, remember when they played? Was it Oklahoma or Ohio State in the national championship game? And the safety comes down along the sidelines and kills a man. Damn near, knocks mm -hmm. his head off. Yes. Florida, that is Florida. Florida is athlete on top of athlete. They will smother you with speed and they'll out physical you. That is the University of Florida. Anything below that is not their standard. The Florida standard every year should be playoff or bust. That's the bottom line. 
They got a lot of work to get back to that, though. <laughs> and it ain't going to be with Billy Napier. All right. It just yeah, it kill the man already. <laughs> it just it, it isn't. All right. Uh, let's talk about Sharon Moore here. So, Joe, we've continued our process here with first-year head coaches. Now we are with Michigan head coach Sharon Moore. What says you about the, his first-year expectations as a new Wolverines head man? Yeah, I was a very big champion of promoting Sharon Moore. I even went as far as to say early on in the cycle, in, in parts of the season, that Sharon Moore has proven enough to me to easily be a head coach at a, at a P5 program. Maybe a team like Syracuse was one that made a lot of sense that he could have taken over and put them in a really good position. But here he is taking over this Michigan program. I think realistically with the schedule that they're facing, losing their starting quarterback, J.J. McCarthy, losing Blake Corum, losing... There are six offensive linemen going to the NFL Combine, Blake, from the University of Michigan. Mm -hmm. It is going to be damn near impossible to replicate a national championship winning season. We need to get that out of the way, and that should not be expected. I think what is realistic, having to face, these are all the difficult games on their schedule. They have to play USC. They have to play Washington. They have to play Texas, Oregon, and Ohio State. Where's the a nine game? Where is it? Yeah, is it in the big house? I'm checking that right now. Because if, if if that game's in the big house, they ain't losing. Well, that was what I wrote down as a game that they're going to win. I really think that they're – yeah, it's in Ann Arbor. They're, they are going to beat USC. Nine and three, though, is my expectation for them. I really think that nine and three is a very, very good jumping off point. This is not like, and there's a lot of comparisons that are going to be drawn between Sharon Moore and Marcus Freeman because it's the same area of the country, same circumstance of, you know, premier big name, older coach leaves and interim coach that has stepped in, takes over all of that. There's a lot of comparisons, but the difference is not all of the premier elite players on Notre Dame's roster had gone and left. Kyle mm -hmm. Hamilton was still there. Michael Mayer was still there. Blake uh, Fisher uh, Joe Alt, a lot of those guys were still sticking around. Tromore starting from scratch, 9-3 would be a fantastic first season for him. I don't want to say, uh, well, I, he's starting off in a place for the first year head as a first-year head coach that you got to admit, Joe, not a lot of people start off with. Um, but he doesn't have the experience. Um, I don't think nine and three is very off really i i gotta be honest i think 10 and two is not completely off with them uh, they still are very talented you know how much i like alex orgy the quarterback there i i think that they run i mean look he's an offensive line guy that had play i mean joe we're talking about a guy that had play calling duties for harbaugh right like i, I mean i don't think sharon moore is going to be a guy that or and, and Michigan is going to be a team that you look at and be like, man, we going to get them. They don't. They can't get over the hump. I, I think that they could be a ten and two team. And Joe, I got to be real with you. If if they're ten and two, they're going to the playoff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> ten and two implies that they're in the top three of the conference. Yes, absolutely. Now a lot of things will be said about Orgy and him throwing the football and. You know, how will they look offensively if they recruited well enough there? I, they're losing a lot of offensive linemen. They got a lot of replace, Joe. And 
that's why you say nine and three it, it would be a, a comfortable place. I thought and and still remain that it, it, I thought it was a lazy hire, just automatically promoting him from within. Uh, but I I, I got to admit, man, I I think that they go they're they're good enough, they're deep enough. I just I don't know if I can see a world, Joe, of them being below nine and three. Like I, I who beats them? Well, right. I just brought up all their their upcoming matchups, and th- that would imply Penn State. Penn State do they play? Did you say Penn State? No, they don't play Penn State. I don't believe. Okay, so USC, Ohio State. The big games on their schedule are USC, Washington, Texas, Ohio State, and Oregon, and that would imply a team like USC or Washington. Oh, no, they're gonna, they're gonna get the pulls out an upset. They're gonna get the Chiefs clapped by Texas. Yeah, I kind of just assumed that Texas yeah. would be a loss. It's gonna roll roll all over them. So I I mentioned though Blake that that they're losing a lot of important players. They're losing a lot of their offensive line. But conversely, on this end... Oh, and they got Oregon? And they have Oregon. They all are also, though, bringing back some of the best players in the country at certain positions. And I'm talking about Mason Graham at defensive tackle. I'm talking about Will Johnson at corner. And I'm talking about Colston Loveland at tight end. Those are, those are all, I would argue, the top three returning players at their positions. That is the best defensive tackle, cornerback, and tight end returning to college football in 2024. I don't disagree with that necessarily. Like that, that's that they is huge. Ohio State again, and I swear to God, if Sharon Moore beats Ohio State and they lose, oh, Ryan Day's got to get fired. I'm, I'm just think he's got to get fired if they lose. If they lose to Sharon Moore at home, in it, wait, it, is it? A, yeah, it's at home. It would be at Ohio State. I'm not. I'm not yeah, sure. it's at Ohio State. So if you lose to Sharon Moore at home again, you have to fire Ryan Day. With that <laughs> roster, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about if it. If he goes 11 and 1 and Ryan Day makes the playoffs and they get to a national championship, there's so much more in the season that would have to play out. They would have to win a national title to rectify that. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, that's a brutal stretch. That's a brutal schedule. Ohio State, Oregon, and Texas. Joe, all Not three easy. of these are going to be playoff teams. My, I mean, the the inverse of that is: imagine if you steal one of those, you steal then one of those games. Team. You just got to win one of them. You got to go one and two in those three games. Yeah, and you can't mess around and lose to like USC. I, I, I mean, I'd go as far as to argue a nine and three Michigan team with close losses to all three of those opponents could be the last team into the playoff. Very well could be. It's very feasible. Very feasible. And and again, you're talking about for a first year. But let me let me say this and add this on because this is my main thought when we discuss that we're going to talk about Sharon Moore, and that I've had two weeks to kind of think on it. Um, Joe, if there's any fan base in the country that goes nine and three and should allow a coach to three, four, five years ago nine and three, God dog, it's Michigan. Because you just let Harbaugh do it. So, I mean, just steady the ship, get your culture in there, bring your guys in there, and then you'll be fine. That needs to be reiterated. I I think a lot of Michigan fans are surprisingly very level-headed about this. I would at least hope that they are, that there isn't this assumption that they're immediately going to win. They're pissed at Harbaugh. I don't know what they they expect. I I mean, they expected him to leave some of the staff behind. 
That that was never going to happen in a million years. I mean, that wasn't going to happen. I never really happen. understood that, by the way. Like, Harbaugh's the one that hired that staff. Right. All of those guys came to coach for Harbaugh, and a lot of them have aspirations to coach in the NFL. So it's like, what, what do we expect here? Not to mention the fact that Sherelle Moore was able to get Wink Martindale. Like, it, like that's not going to completely solve a lot of their problems. If anything, I would argue maybe it's even an upgrade that that was who they were able to hire. A lot of, as you're talking about, though, they just need to be patient. If this thing, even if they go eight and four in this first year, patience is key. Patience is very key because you, you gave Harbaugh patience who had won at Stanford already, won in the NFL, was a Michigan man, had graduated there. You gave him time, even though you were yelling at him the whole time. Give Sharon Moore a little time. It might take two, three years. <laughs> I hear you. All right. Let's see what happens. It's going to be a good year. going to be a fun year. I, I still think 2024 is going to be um, – oh, we got a super chat. Uh, yeah, by the way, guess who a former Michigan coach is in the chat? Oh, he's a, he's a fan of the show. I, I wonder if he does NIL deals. I wonder if we could uh, pay well, him Connor, that Well, Connor, I mean – well, here's the truth. You have no idea if this is or isn't Connor Stallions as crazy as he as you know. I was thinking that. I honestly, I read that and I was like, oh, some joker made his name Connor Stallions, but then immediately it popped in my head. I'm like, we actually have no idea if this actually is him. I mean, or not. He showed up to a Michigan barstool event. He showed up to a Michigan game. He's got no grace, so I, I you know, he's got no. What's the word I'm looking for? I, I don't think he gives a shit. So he totally would just show up with his name being Connor Stallions. It would be hilarious if Harbaugh hired him. Alex with a two dollars super chat says, "Yep, show patience till the team starts cheating." He just wanted us to read and and finish things off by saying, "Thanks, Alex." Thanks for the, well, for the wasn't there a claim that Ohio State was doing the same thing? Uh, I believe there was. Hmm. I believe there was a claim that that was happening. He who um, hath no sin casteth this first stone. Isn't that what? Isn't that what the good book says? Yeah, but there was no. Punishment delivered to Ohio State. So, yeah. All right. Thank you, Alex, for the super chat. So, my good friends over at Homefield Apparel, helmets or radios and helmets. We talk about that in college football. Talk about next. Rafino and Joe Show is brought to you by Homefield Apparel, which is the best, without a doubt, premium collegiate apparel brand that is out there. They have over 150 different colleges that you can choose from, whether you're an Illinois fan or a Rutgers fan, maybe you're an LSU fan like Blake, or maybe you're an Alabama fan, whatever it is, even Idaho. They have so many different designs for so many different football programs that I can guarantee you're going to find some great stuff to help root for your favorite team. I've already gotten my Notre Dame stuff. Blake has his LSU stuff make sure you head on over to homefieldapparel.com to check out your team's collection of clothing apparel that they have on the website. And when you do so, when you check out, make sure you use promo code Rafino Joe to get 15% off your order. That is R-U-F-F-I-N-O Rafino Joe. Head on over to homefieldapparel.com and get your college gear today. I love all of these NFL draft guys complaining. It's what I'm leaning AYS off with tonight. Oh, great. About Jaden Daniels not throwing at the combine and Caleb Williams. But I thought he is. I thought he is throwing. He is not. He's on his pro day. 
Oh, he's throwing it his pro day. I, I was just a little saddened by him not testing because uh, there was somebody that I spoke to that told me he was going to run and he was going to run a really good time. And, you know, we were getting robbed of that. I, I, I just like getting to see how guys stack up. I was I told two months ago that there was no way possible that Jay Daniels runs a 40 at the combine. Uh, okay, I'll tell you off air who told me that. <laughs> okay, well, I think you understand the relationship I have there, and in no you'd way be surprised possible. who I told you would be surprised who I okay. who who told me that. It was very direct. It was like a very direct. I maybe yeah. maybe he didn't know, and he was just assuming. But yeah, he was just assuming because I'm telling you, <laughs> it was not going to happen, especially when meetings happen and walk-ons. All right. <laughs> Uh, Joe, so this is something that I think is really interesting that I know has been talked about. Now, your former head coach, Brian Kelly, um, has been on the forefront of this. He's actually talked about this, Joe. I, I, I actually went and looked, I think, 17 times in the last two years at LSU about this. So this is something that's come up. Now, they've tested in college football. Obviously, we've had in the NFL – I don't know what the big deal is behind this, but apparently there's a lot of conversations about putting the radios in the quarterback and middle linebacker and safety's helmets during games to call plays. Your thoughts? I, I, I'm just shocked that we've made it this far, that they haven't tried to make this move to put these radios and helmets already. I, I think that it has been just such a stupid, like prehistoric process that there is signs on the sideline that have to be motioned in when it's 2024 it's inexpensive it is so easy to just stick the damn thing in the helmet it's so easy the one layer of this though that i think it's a little weird is like how many helmets are there going to be per team because there's a lot more substituting yeah, in, five in, in is what i read in the article okay right. four quarterback middle linebacker and two safeties is what was tested Okay. I I'm, say this because says they go with just two. I feel like they're gonna have to go with more because what I was saying is that there's a lot more substituting in college football than there is in the NFL. Your Mike linebacker never comes off the field, but in college football, there are a lot of teams that you have multiple fronts rotating in in a game. So I, I wonder how that aspect plays into this, but to to remove what has been such a grimy part of the sport and honestly such a waste of time and energy trying to decipher these signs, I'm glad that we're co finally coming into the modern age with these stupid radio helmets. Anyone who's against this, I haven't seen anyone who's against it, but I don't know how you can't support this because it's just going to make the game more efficient. It's going to make it better. There's going to be less mistakes by young quarterbacks. This is a very good step forward for modernizing what's on the field with all the stupid shit and changes that have happened on the field with targeting and shortening the games and all that crap. This is one of the first things that actually makes sense. If they finalize going through with it. <laughs> um, I don't disagree. I think it makes offenses 10 times better, which is a little bit scary because could you imagine telling the red shutter freshman quarterback to throw the hitch? That's a good point. You know, well, like the time's out after a certain period of time, but yeah, like it's like 15 seconds left on the play clock, isn't it? Yeah. Right. So I, I mean, look, I, I get what you're saying and I understand it. Okay. Um, <laughs> 
I don't mind it. And look, we need it. The NFL's done it. I, I do think it's a little goofy to have coaches with, you know, the 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 posters that have like uh 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 you know, all the different logos on it. Like, you know, Ole Miss had a thing of mustard after the whole Tennessee thing, which I thought was funny, you know, on their play call cards, uh, which is honestly, I talked to a coach a while back who said it's all just a distraction. They go based off of like what baseball coaches do. You know, you have the three guys with headsets and they're just, you know, calling the signals in, you know, whatever. Um, let's just move to it. Let's just do it. Like, let's mm-hmm. stop being idiots. Like, okay, like it's an easy thing to solve. And, and yeah, I tell you what else, it's another game inside a game. Could you imagine a guy like Lane Kiffin or Brian Kelly or Lincoln Riley talking to their quarterbacks? Well, that that's what I'm really intrigued by, which coaches are going to know how to use this most advantageously. And I think that we're going to see really quickly which offenses hit the ground running and maybe take a step forward whether it's a coach that's got experience with the NFL or just one that's really creative in knowing how can we get the most out of this? You just talked about how like where that timeout is, is like how many coaches are going to try and bend the rules, snap the ball quickly so that you can get in their ear and say, you know, go in this direction. Does it stop tempo offenses? I don't think it does. I will say the one thing I think does change. I think that there are going to be a lot less there's going to be a lot more audibling and there's going to be a lot less missed assignments because of bad play calls by inexperienced quarterbacks. There will be a lot more audibling. And you know, what's crazy about that? The game inside the game gets deeper because defenses are going to show something. They're going to audible and then they're going to get into what they're actually going to run. And then they're going to have to try to audible again. It's going to be a game inside a game, man. What do you do with all fun. the sign stealing guys? What, what, where do you relocate them in the in the staff? What do you do with them? I have no earthly idea. <laughs> what would you do with them? I put them up in the. Actually, I don't know if there's a limit on the amount of guys you can have in the booth. I put them up there in the is. booth and just have them, you know, model whatever formations are coming up for them and that they're seeing, and just have extra communication to whoever's phoning down to the player on the field. I mean, that's probably the smartest thing to do with them. The sign stealing thing at a game is not the problem because everybody is doing that. Everybody's trying to get an advantage. The problem yeah. with the Cole Connor Stallions thing was, was they were saying, sending guys to games that they weren't supposed to be at. That was, that's the whole thing. Do you They're, think, I don't think this, this would ever happen in the NFL, but okay. for how batshit crazy college football is, do you think that we'll eventually at some point have some sort of a scandal where somebody tries to intercept the frequency of the radios? We have college students that that's all that they're going to be doing. This is my point. Yeah. You think that you think that somebody's first phone call is isn't going to be to the computer science department and say, "Hey, we want to <laughs> Someone's going to call the engineering department. How do we get in on these? Uh, these. If I were to want to listen to a broadcast that I wasn't supposed to have access to, how would how would I go about doing that? Be fun. All right. Wait, what, what's today? Wednesday? No, today's Monday. Monday. Monday we, go. we will see you guys again on Wednesday. Or you're going to be at the combine. No, Wednesday I'm still here. Sunday I will be unavailable. Okay. So we'll see you guys on Wednesday. Y'all have a good one. Peace.